it's about the vision that you have, not just about the company, but about what your life would look like personally, right? Because I like to think of it as founder product and a founder market fit, because what kind of a product you want to build is going to depend on what DNA you have as a founder. Thank you for listening. This is Brett Trainer, your host for Hardwired for Growth, a podcast where we strive to help entrepreneurs and business owners not only grow their businesses, but scale them. We do this by having conversations with industry experts and the entrepreneurs who have successfully scaled their own businesses. Statistics show that only 5% of all startups ever achieve annual revenue of $1 million and less than 1% reach $10 million. Our mission is to help more than double number of the companies that reach each of those thresholds. The voice you heard a moment ago is that of Ish Jindal. Ish is the CEO and founder of TARS, a company which helps businesses boost their PPC conversion rates through conversational landing pages. Chatbots built on the TARS platform help businesses give their customers an experience that is far more engaging and far more human than a boring old form. The end results are higher conversion rates. On average, you'll hear of 50% across all of their customers, more quality leads, and most importantly, a happy customer. To date, their product has enabled over 9,000 creators to build over 16,000 bots that have together completed over 12 million conversations. And all of this over the course of less than two and a half years. So what we're going to hear and questions we're going to answer on, on today's episode are how Ish's journey led him to creating a chatbot company, how niching down on one customer problem allowed TARS to grow exponentially, why the company vision needs to align with not only market fit, but also founder fit. How he grew the company from 200 bots, as I referenced a few seconds ago, that he had built himself to over the, the 16,000 that are now active. And I think that's an older number. Why conversational chatbots can drive to 50% improvement in conversion rates versus traditional form fills. And what's next for Ish and TARS. Plus much, much more. Now, on to the intro. Welcome back. You're listening to Hardwired for Growth, a podcast dedicated to helping entrepreneurs and business owners who are looking for sustainable and scalable growth strategies, led by your host, Brett Trainer. Hi, Ish. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. That's great. Thank you for taking time. I know uh, you're joining us from India today, correct? I know you travel quite a bit, but is that where you're located this evening? Yes, based out of Bangalore, which is the southern part of India. So yeah, it's actually evening for me, awesome. late evening for me. Yeah, appreciate you taking a few minutes and uh, sharing kind of your journey with with our audience today. And I think before we dig too deep and get into what that what that journey looked like, maybe talk a little bit about your current company, Tars, what you guys do, and you know how you're you're helping folks. Sure. So. Uh, at TARS, we are helping marketers, marketers who are running paid campaigns. So think of any marketer who is running Google ads, Facebook ads, any kind of ads, right? We help them increase their conversion rate by 50% to 200%, which eventually means 2x the revenue they would make eventually, right? And how we do that is currently what really happens is they you search for card insurance on Google, right? And you would get all of these progressive and Geico ads. And once you hit on that link, it takes you to a static landing page with a boring form in it. Now, nobody wants to fill out forms. 
especially if it's on mobile device. If you're on your mobile device, you would never fill out that form. But still, every marketer follows the same process. They have a landing page with a form on it, right? Which is a post click after someone clicks on that link. And what we're doing at TARS is we're replacing those boring landing pages with an automated conversation uh, or a chatbot or a conversational landing page. And the whole idea is to give a very engaging, seamless experience to the end users, to your customers, basically. Yeah, the end customers. And the whole idea is if a person feels it's really human, really conversational, we've seen just because we've been doing this for almost three years now, a little more than three years actually, we've seen the conversion rate jumps up and we at least try 50% increase in conversion rate compared to what it was. So if someone was doing a 10% conversion rate, we would together aim at a 15 to 20% conversion rate from the same traffic, from the same ad spend, just replacing what the post-click experience looks like. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. And I do want to kind of drill in under that a second because, you know, with Facebook ads and some of these others that take your landing page, not only from a conversion that's going to help your revenue, but your cost, right? Because <laughs> some of the right. words are, are really expensive. And, you know, one of the things I really you know, like about you and your approach is a lot of companies when they think about, you know, how to position themselves, it's, Hey, we're uh, we use smart bots to help improve, you know, and drive revenue, but you were actually led with, Hey, we're helping you improve your conversion rates. Right. So you're, you're heavily focused on outcomes versus the, the how of, of how your technology does that is, is that something that's been intentional for you or is that something that's, that's kind of shifted over the years? It seems simple right now, but you never start off with a simple first version, right? So even for us, the first version of it was, we'll help you create chatbots very easily. So that was our tagline. That was our value proposition. So it was the same tagline or same value proposition which any other player would have in the market, which is much more focused on tech rather than the business outcome. So this is, and just to give you a sense of the timeline, uh, this was our positioning in the whole of 2017, where you would go on our website and our website would say, we help you create chatbots. I think we help you create chatbots without having to code anything at all or something like that, right? In 2018, this became our biggest problem because we were a horizontal chatbot platform where anyone could come and build literally anything out there. Like you could be, a recruitment firm making chatbots to make the entire recruitment process faster or simple. Or you could be a marketer working in an insurance company looking to do something way different. Or you could be an internal HR who's trying to provide a much more, a much better employee engagement using chatbots. So these are very three very different use cases, but you could do all of it using our platform. And this became a problem because you spread yourself too thin. Now, if I have to write my next blog post, who should be focused on? Should I focus on that insurance customer or this HR customer or that recruitment customer, right? And, and I think that's the problem we try to solve. So, like, it, it took us a few months, uh, but the biggest problem we knew we had um, early last year was how can we narrow down our target market? And the whole point was go back and see why, how most of our customers are using our product. And we realized 90, 95% of our customers use our chatbots for lead generation from their marketing campaigns. And we said, you know, why are we even doing anything else? Like, let's just 
and we literally didn't change much in the product side. It was just the positioning in terms of what people were seeing in our on our website, what kind of content we were writing, what was our positioning internally. And it wasn't just the external positioning, it was an internal positioning as well, where we had to get every team member on the same page, where we were like, you know, we are not a chatbot company. We are a CRO company because now we are helping people improve their conversion rate. CRO is conversion rate optimization. And um, so it's basically a very different mindset that we had to sort of incorporate within the team as well. But yeah, I mean, it, it feels better because we have much more clarity and the messaging is much more focused on the success and the business outcome for the customer rather than the product we are building. Does that answer your question? I, I just went no, at length. No, yeah. it, it, it's great. And I think a lot of, you know, audience or other companies should, you know, learn from this lesson. You know, one of the, the phrases I throw on quite a bit is, you know, there's riches in the niches and very easily, easy to think we can solve all these problems, but it gets diluted and, you become not known for being very good in, in one area. So I love your approach that you're taking that, Hey, we're, we're going to dominate the, you know, the, you said the CRO space, the conversion optimization. And then once you get really good at that, then there's no reason why, right. You can't expand into other areas and, and solve some additional problems. But I, I love the fact that, um, you have narrowed it down to, to really focus on, on one area. And I think a lot of businesses can learn <laughs> from, from this, uh, this approach. I mean, yeah, it, it, makes, it makes your life so simple because now you have to focus on a specific kind of customer. You don't have to focus on a, on a large uh, addressable market and you know what you have to do. So everyone's life becomes so easy from your marketing teams to your sales team because the sales teams which would become so crisp, they would know what they have to say on every demo, right? Right. Uh, everything just starts aligning. I mean, I'm giving you instances just because it's tough to visualize as to what value it would create, but we have seen it happening in the last seven to eight months. And it's been, I mean, it feels way better compared to where we were when we were just too horizontal. Yeah. Right. No, I'm expecting, I think this is a, a good segue because I do want to take you back down memory lane a little bit to talk about, you know, kind of your journey to, to that last seven or eight months when you decided to focus on, you know, a specific niche or an area of, of, of focus. And if you don't mind, if yeah, I didn't realize doing a little bit of research that you were actually spent some time at, you know, ZS and Associates, you know, back in the day in the corporate world before moving full time. Can you talk a little bit about what you, you did for them and, you know, what led you to transition from that to kind of, well, I think that would be your, what your pet hero is that you'd be your second startup. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. I mean, so, so it's what, 2019 right now. Yeah. It's mid of 2019. So I graduated from, from college. Uh, I did my engineering, which was seven years back. So mid of 2012 is when I graduated from college. My first job was as a business analyst at ZS Associates. And um, what they do is they basically help uh, pharma companies, pharmaceutical companies with sales and marketing consulting. So if, say, Pfizer was supposed to or is going to launch a new drug in the eastern part of the U.S., they would basically help Pfizer know, okay, now how many sales reps should you deploy in each territory? And all of this analysis is what 
our team would do. So I okay. used to work with a different client, not Pfizer, but it was it was pure analytical sort of a role, right? Which is something I used to enjoy because if I think about it right now, in hindsight, I still do something similar because I I like at Tars, I still take care of the sales and marketing efforts, and a lot of it is pretty much focused around it, right? Like we have to figure right. out okay which market should we focus on. It's it's pretty much the same thing. But I think, but I didn't spend a lot of time at VS. I spent about one and a half years working there as a business analyst, and then I quit my job to start off um, my first startup, first project, whatever you want to call it. But uh, <laughs> it was essentially I, I I used to call um, like I I didn't like the word startup because then. Uh, everyone thinks you have to raise funding and stuff like that. Right. So I used, I used to call them as projects so that people don't think that I have to make money out of it. Or, uh, but I just wanted to do it. So I, uh, I quit my job and, and it wasn't like it wasn't a serious thing, but it was, it was essentially a startup or a company that we were starting off. And it was a B2C startup. Uh, it was a B2C travel startup where what we were essentially doing is it was something similar to what you see as Airbnb trips where if you're traveling to a new place, you could get a real insight of that place by hanging out with the locals. So this entire operations was focused on within India. So if you were an inbound traveler, which means if say, if you're coming from the US, you're visiting Delhi, which is the northern part of the country, we would have local hosts or a local creator, as we used to call them, who would host you give you a sense of what the place is all about, what our life looks like, right? Because right. travel has become much more experiential. So if, if I'm going to say New York, I, I might go to Times Square, but I, I mean, how many times would I go to Times Square, right? right. I would want you in Chicago, for instance, and get to see uh, where do you go to uh, drink coffee in the morning? How, how does your day look like, right? So this is what we were doing and we were trying to monetize uh, and calling these experiences, local experiences with, with a creator or with a host, um, with a host. And um, we were present in about 18 cities within India, around 450 greeters across these cities. And we were focusing on people who were coming from outside of India to India. Okay. So, yeah. And it was a pretty fun thing, but it was too operational. It's a stuff because uh, you need to raise money to run that kind of thing. And I didn't really know if I was built for that kind of a setup. Yeah, and while I was doing this, this is back in 2015. Yeah, this is 2015 yeah. I'm talking about. And then while I was doing this, I basically what what we do at TAS right now is I feel coming in from our insights back at Padharo, uh, the travel startup I was talking about, because the people who were coming in, the travelers who were coming in, for instance, if you're coming to, uh, if you're traveling to any place, the first thing you would do is you would want to know, should I take a cab or not? How much would the cab cost me? Right. Evolved, but I'm talking like six years back where there was, uh, when there was not, like there was no Uber. Right. In, in, two, in 2013, right? So there was still a possibility that you would take an auto or a cab from the airport. So what usually used to happen was the, Travelers would reach out to greeters over WhatsApp, and then I would be a part of these groups, and they would ask all of these questions there. You know, which, what cap should I take? Where can I get a local number? And all of these questions really existed out there in the world on TripAdvisor somewhere. It's, it was just about 
thinking that can these questions be automated over chat? And right. that's how we landed into chatbot. Okay. Yeah. yeah, and before we make that transition, because now I see the transition point into to your current company, but I think one of the things you mentioned, which I think was insightful, was talking about you know the vision for the company, and you saw how operational it was and the capital that was going to require to raise that. I think you know one of the lessons, at least I'm learning from a lot of the folks I've been talking to through this podcast, is you know making sure you've got a clear vision and objectives for for your product or your startup you know and, and what that looks like and i'm it changes and morphs as you get deeper but too often you know i talk with folks that don't i just want it to be really i want to be the next uber or i want to be the next google and i think what you had raised there was a really interesting point that once you got deep into the startup you realized you know what it was you're going to take from a, a capital perspective so was that something that came intuitively to you? Or was it a lesson learned from earlier at, at ZS that, you know what, I really need to understand what the future looks like in order to, you know, drive towards what the future is? Um, so I, I would definitely agree that it's, um, it's about the vision that you have, uh, not just about the company, but about what, what your life would look like personally, right? Because I like to think of it as founder product, and a founder market fit because what kind of a product you want to build is going to depend on what DNA you have as a founder, right? Um, what I realized is as a founder, I'm not really built for company or build a product or build an organization which has a lot of employees and a lot of operational stuff. That's, that's something, you know, who I was five years back and I realized that it's, just too tough for me to build a company, build a product, which would require a lot of operations and a lot of people, a lot of resources, right? So it was, first it was the vision of a kind of a company that I want to build, but it was all correlated to who I am as a person, right? Because it all comes back to, like in the early years, I think what you build in the product, what kind of a company looks like, it's all, dependent on what the founders look like, what what kind of a, what kind of people they are in real life. And I think that defined for me personally, I, I think that defined if I wanted to build that kind of a company or not. And that's why I pretty much switched to uh TAS where it's it's a B2B software, not a lot of operations. Uh you don't have to raise money and stuff like that. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think it's 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 definitely important because, you know, one of my colleagues, she's started her business, dropped out of corporate after about ten plus years doing it. And, you know, one of the goals for her business was to always be able to take off the month of August, right? So I'm building this so I can run my schedule, you know, I take care of clients, I'm gonna grow the company, I wanna, you know, do big things. But at the end of the day, the reason I did this is I want to be able to travel and take that time in the month of August. And I just thought that was you know, very insightful from knowing who you are to your point on the, I love the idea of the, the founder market fit. You always think of product market or, or problem market fit, but I think that's such a great point that if you're going to be in this, you know, for a, the long haul, and I think anything more than three years would be somewhat considered long, even though I, a lot of the founders I talk to, it's, you know, a 10 year journey, but I think that's important that the, the fit 
matches what you want and what you want to do. So, um, yeah, that was a great point. Yeah. I mean, because if you have to do it for a long, long time and I don't think anything serious takes less than five to seven years. So you have to really enjoy whatever you're doing. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it really makes sense to work on a product, be in a market, which you really want to be in. Yeah. And it gets away from the the common method or the message and, you know, you know, there's a hack your way to growth and, you know, the unicorn, we're going to be a, you know, billion dollar company in 12 to 18 months. And, you know, the reality is, you know, you have to enjoy the journey to get your company where you want it to go because 95% plus more are going to take to your point, the three to five to 10 years to really get it to get it where you want. So you better enjoy what you're doing because if you're just focused on the end game, you might be disappointed when you get there. If you, you know, you put all that effort in for, for seven years and it really wasn't what you like to do. And, you know, I'm saying it by, by the end, you better enjoy, you know, the journey. Exactly. Totally agree with that. Yeah. Awesome. 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 All right. So now next I do want to talk about, so now you've got the idea, you know, for, for TARS, your new business and current business, you know, maybe talk us through kind of the early days, you know, like I said, when you're a scrappy startup getting started with all these great ideas and kind of talk about the, the early days to the point where you had to make a decision on right growth. It was going to go bigger than you and your, yourself or your co-founders, and you're going to have to bring on some additional resources. Now that I've that you've heard, obviously you've tried to keep it small intentionally, just based on the type of business. But you know, if you could take us back in time to what was that 2015 was the start of of TARS and, and just give us some of the early days and, you know, kind of what and how your, your vision had changed through those first couple of years. Sure. Um, so we started the, the current version of the product. We started in early 2016. It was actually January or Feb of 2016 is when we started with this current version of the product. And, um, Back then, we didn't really have a product, I would say. We had this front-end. Uh, so, okay, let me give you some sense of who I was sure. uh, as far as B2B software was concerned, right? I had never done B2B software. Like, I had never built a B2B software before. In fact, I had never used a lot of B2B software before when I was starting off with TARS. Like, I didn't really know of a lot of... Um, B2B softwares as such, right? right? And I was entering into a space. Like B2B SaaS is so common right now. Like everyone is, or maybe just because I'm in the space, I see B2B SaaS everywhere. It is everywhere. (laughs) Yeah, it is, right? But I didn't really know of Salesforce or a Zoom or all of these back in the day. Like I didn't really know of what a Salesforce was uh, in 2016, right? That's how, that's where I was, right? And um, so when we started, we knew that there's a simple problem, which is the, you have these forms and can we make those forms more engaging? That's the problem we knew. And we knew we, we have to make this software and we have to sell it to other companies. And that's how we make money, right? It's, it's a simple math. This is what we have to do. Right. And, and this is January or Feb of 2016. And what we did initially was, so my, my co-founder is Vineet, who uh, handles the product and the tech side of it. And it was just two of us when we started off. What he did is he essentially built a front-end 
JavaScript, like you, you would have already seen our product, our chatbots, the front-end side of it, right? But what we've essentially made was a front-end JavaScript, which used to look like a chat, which is totally automated, but behind the scenes, nothing was happening. So it was all on the browser client side. You would just, it's an automated chat that kept running. And I would use, I used to use this as a demo. And reach, so basically, initially, I would reach out on LinkedIn, cold emails. That was the usual way of reaching out to prospective customers. I would reach out to them, go on a demo, and showcase this front end. And I think that's how we got the first two or three customers and okay. then build the product with them. So I think our first deployment for a customer was in March or April. So we took the first two, three months, Feb to uh, April of 2016, to actually build the product in entirety because what I had been showcasing was not really a product, right? It was just, <laughs> right. because, uh, back then, uh, like chatbot as a product is pretty, pretty well known. Still, it's a very nascent market. It's a very early market even now, but back then nobody really understood what a chatbot meant. So I had to basically show them that, you know, you have this form on your website. What I've done is literally just converted this form into a, into a chat experience, which is totally automated, and this is how it works, right? So yeah, I mean that's that's how we we started off, and um, for the first I think first year, we didn't really have any backend where people could could build these chatbots themselves. So Vineet was the one who was hard coding these chatbots, and like people would share the entire workflow for the chatbot in a simple Google Doc we would go back and hard code the entire chatbot and give it to them. So you can realize how, like, I don't know, but we didn't want to build a lot. Right. We were building things at the same time, but uh, we didn't just want to build things and just release and just wait for people to come. We were doing a lot, like we were selling and only when people were adopting it and only then we were creating something next. So it, yes, it, uh, it made things slow in terms of, uh, how things were evolving in terms of the product. But I think in hindsight, it was a good decision because we were able to make a product which really served all the needs because in that entire first year, Vineet was able to figure out, okay, you know, these are the possibilities of what we would need on the front end. So let's go back and try to incorporate all of this on the back end, uh, right? I mean, this right. would make, make more sense if you actually use the product, you would be able to connect to it a lot more. But what I'm trying to say is, think of it as you have a Google form and then behind the scenes you have this builder, form builder where you create the entire Google form. I'm saying there was no, there was no builder, there was no form builder and we had to hard code every form. Think of okay. It, right? Yeah, <laughs> it was very, very scrappy, uh, a lot of friction from the customer standpoint. But yeah, I mean, I think it worked. People were paying, and we were like, if people are taking so much pain to use our product, there must be something in it. Right, so, and, and I think to just to kind of pull a couple of those pieces out. One, you know, it's that you worked closely with your customer to develop this solution, right? You were solving a problem for them, but rather than say, hey world, we've got this tool and, you know, we're trying to solve these problems, you actually work to to figure out what they are. And then two, I think as you started to look at, and we'll get into kind of the scale portion, right? Because it wasn't going to be sustainable to hard code for for every customer and hope to get, you know, enough scale in order to to drive the business, but it was to really understand how 
you know, customers were going to use the product in order to continue to use it. Right. I think there's uh, a, and I test just based on what I do, a lot of different software and solutions and offerings and services. And there's really two types of companies. One that basically says, Hey, here you go. Enjoy. <laughs> uh, and then there's two, which I, I found with your company is, Hey, we want to make sure you understand how to use this. We'll walk you through the process to make sure you're getting the value out of the product. And I just, to me, that's just a much better approach with the customer to ensure that they're getting value from the beginning, not just, you know, hope and pray that, you know, they figure out how to use the product and, and use it. So, so those are just a couple of things that I pulled out. So now if, if you could take us to, all right, you're hard coding, we can't scale this way. So what was kind of the thought process for, you know, 2.0 for you guys as you were looking to get your product or solution into to more companies? So how did you expand the sales? How did you expand kind of the operations? And what was your thought process as you were kind of at that tipping point? Right. So basically the next version for us was we can't be hard coding these chatbots and we need to have a platform where people can do all of this themselves, right? And um, to, so, and this is what we released in early 2017, which was the chatbot builder, the platform where anyone could come and uh, build these amazing chatbots. And to give you a sense of the scale from where we were when we launched the builder and the scale we are at right now, I think we had some 200 odd chatbots built on the platform, like Vineet had basically hard-coded. Think of this it this way, that my co-founder had basically hard-coded some 200 chatbots in the entire first year. Wow. And at this point of time, we are at about 30,000 plus chatbots on the platform. Wow, that's awesome. Uh, right, so we could have never done this if we had not built that chatbot, build a platform where anyone could come and build bots by themselves, yeah. So from as far as not the full infrastructure, but to go from the builder piece, but there still had to be some surrounding support pieces, right? So you had to bring in some additional resources. So when you looked at the expansion, was it more, who did you bring in next to the organization as you built up? I know you're, you're still lean, but where did you make right. investment in, in people or was it tools that you made the investment in? Right. So, um, I think it was just two of us for the first two years, um, just uh, Vineet and me for the first two years. And the first person we got in the team was for customer success. Okay. Uh, because I was taking care of the sales and the marketing at that point of time, but we didn't really have anyone who could provide success to people who were signing up. And so it's basically user success and the customer success. People who were signing up, can we help them better during the first onboarding base and once someone starts paying can we provide them with a great experience as well right so that was the first hire and then then it was marketing full-time then another marketing then developers then sales and then more customer success so it has evolved quite a bit since then but um, yes we added more resources because we knew now this this thing seems to be working so let's go out and do a lot more marketing. I have salespeople who can close the like close the leads that are coming in. Have customer success who can help the customers get more value from the product. Have developers who can 
make the product even better, release more features. So I think people is one of the biggest investments that you do in a in a SaaS company anyways. So I think that is like, we've been really slow and I think we could have done a better job in terms of hiring, but I think it's still a pretty, pretty lean small team because we've taken time to hire every new person in the team to bring in any new team member. But yeah, I mean, so this was one and the second thing was obviously we invested in quite a bit in the P2P products we use ourselves within the team. I think we must be using something around 20 to 25 tools even at this point of time, or maybe more, trying to automate every bit that, I mean, if, it, if we had been doing the same process for a, for a quite a bit, we just try to automate it somehow so that we don't really need a human resource to take care of it. Right. And you kind of led me right into my, my next question of where I was going is, as you, you know, expanded from two to, to where you're at today, was there a conscious effort to document certain processes or is that something you didn't do that you wish you would have done? Because it sounds like you're doing it now, right? So we're documenting the process. So ultimately we can automate if it's possible. Is that something that you did from the early days or is that something you learn after the fact that you wish you would have done earlier on? Right. Um, so I am not particularly great at documenting. Okay. Right? I've never been good at documenting, but what I've realized is once you get someone who is solely full-time focused on a certain, certain function. So if it's say you want to have an SDR team, right? A sales development rep team, and you get the first SDR or you get the first couple of SDRs and then you would need to have a process because they, these team members would have to follow a certain process and this is when you would be able to build a process and document it as well. So this has been my learning. Like uh, if you have to document a certain process or build a structure to a certain function, get someone full time and work with them to build that process. We've done it like I mean, we're not, I'm not saying we're great at it, but this is something we try to follow with sales and marketing and something we're trying to do with customer success at this point of time is how we can structure the process so that if a new person comes in, they can actually go through a certain document and actually understand how the entire process, at least in that function works. And then they can obviously read the documentation of other functions as well and see actually how the entire user journey works from marketing to a product, to a sales, to a customer success. Um, it makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I guess the follow-up question to that, so as you looked at that journey from, you know, 16, from the two of you to where you're at today, is there anything else? You know, I always like to ask, is there anything else you would have done differently in hindsight, knowing now what you know, you know, you wish you would have known then? So I would still go back to, you know, two things, which, is, which are actually correlated. The first thing is... Um, Delegation, like delegate more, uh, trust the people and just delegate whatever comes to you. Because as founders, you would be doing a lot of stuff. And there are a lot of these uh, tasks which you feel you should be doing, but you shouldn't be doing. And I'm still trying to, you know, be better at it. But I still do usually call these tasks as $5 tasks. Like if any task can be done in five dollars you shouldn't be doing that right right uh, that's how I, I that's how i measure if I, I should be doing something or not if, if not uh just delegate right and um, i i think i could have delegated a lot more and i still should be doing that 
But uh, <laughs> and Easier said than done, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? Because you, you look at something and you're like, you know, I'm not sure if the other person would be able to do it well. So let me just completely really quick. But once you start doing that, it's a trap. It's a, it's a cycle where you can't really get out of it, right? So, right. And, the, and the second part is this, you know, how, how can you outsource or hire people to do those stuff, right? So, yeah, I mean, I think, I think we could have done uh, a better job or we should still be doing a better job at this. And this is something I'm learning at this point of time. Yeah. Awesome. And just so you know, it's, it's definitely a reoccurring theme. You're not alone within, you know, that entrepreneurial journey of delegating and letting go of certain tasks. And it's almost a, uh, a universal, it's probably a strength and a weakness, right? That you want to take it on. You want to know how to do it and you think you can do it better. But when it comes time to let go, letting go a little sooner rather than later seems to be the, uh, the key theme I I'm pulling away from folks. Yep. Exactly. Yep. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Lastly, before we get to our, our closing, closing time segment, I'd love to hear, you know, what, what's next for you and you know, the company as you as you look forward. I think uh, we, at this point of time, are at a stage where uh, there's a lot of clarity in terms of what we have to do, and um, and which was not the case, I would say, seven, eight months back. Uh, but at this point of time, as team, we have a lot of clarity in what we have to do. So the next step is to basically just double down on whatever we're doing right now because it seems to be working. So just double down on whatever it is, just invest more resources. And um, it, it becomes monotonous. It becomes boring after a point of time, but you just have to keep doing the boring stuff. So I think that's, that's what in, uh, you know, ahead of us is to double down on what we have figured in the last few months. And I think that would give us the growth in the next six to 12 months. Awesome. No, I think that's, it's great. It's practical. <laughs> and, you know, and I think just in this, this marketplace of, you know, I'm not calling it just the, the smart bots or the chat bots, but yeah, I still think, and you're probably closer, definitely closer to it than I am, that it's still in its infancy and, and companies are not leveraging, at least in the U S there's a big opportunity you know, not just with forms and the conversion, but, you know, kind of evolution of any of those, uh, I would call non-value added task where you don't need, there's definitely times you want the human intervention and touch points and can add a lot of value, but there's a lot of the time, especially speaking for myself, when I'm looking for information, I don't care if it's, you know, human bot, (laughs) as long as you answer my question, I get the information I need. That's what I care about. So I think, man, the future is definitely bright and wide open uh, for you guys as you grow. Exactly. I mean, there's a, there's a huge market. I think there'll be uh, multiple companies, verticalized companies, like you have these vertical CRMs. You would have vertical companies focused on industries, focused on very specific use cases. And these would be multiple companies doing really, really great. So, yeah, yeah. I agreed. And just that one last thought is you, you made me think when you said, you know, we're using, you know, 15 to 20 or 20 to 22, you know, different B2B tools, right. Or SaaS products or Burton to help drive the organization. And do you see, you know, this technology that you're working on help, I don't want to say eliminate those, but bridge the gap. So a company doesn't have to invest in into 15 and 20, where do you see kind of the future of the B2B 
tech space going. I mean, some, there's got to be some consolidation at some point, right? Just because of the decision-making and the overload of potential products and solutions that are out there. Uh, right. I mean, I, I don't really have an answer to that problem, which is why we have to use so many tools. But I definitely see that the usage is actually going to increase because I do see a transition from a human to a, to a software or to a tool. And I think people or companies would actually use a lot more tools. I don't really have an answer to how, how you're going to solve the problem of so many tools in there. <laughs> right. But, um, actually I, I am really bullish on, uh, so if you think about the market as such, right, in, in, in terms of the geographies, US market is very evolved in terms of how people have been using and buying SaaS products, right? Which is right. the last 10, 10, 15 years. But if you even go to Western Europe or the entire Europe, even the Australian market, uh, it's not that evolved. Even the Southeast Asian market is it's not very evolved, right? And people are still like the traditional industries are not using a lot of these SaaS tools, right? Okay. People are still buying, buying licensed software. So I think there's a huge opportunity there. So I would focus like, I don't know, but I would want to focus my efforts on building something, um, you know, which I can like sell to or build software, which ha- actually helps these industries to, uh, you know, start using more of software. So yeah, I mean, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I definitely agree this in the long run, which is, we have too many tools. How do we consolidate all of them, right? right. Uh, yeah, and I guess if, yeah. if you or I had the answer that we'd, <laughs> we'd be probably working on something different, but yeah, <laughs> right. that's interesting. But yeah, I mean, awesome. All right. Well, sorry, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just say I really appreciate your, your time and I want to be respectful. I know we're evening. So what I'd like to do is transition to, you know, our closing time round where they're not really rapid fire, but a few questions to help the audience get to know you a little bit uh, and share some of, uh, some of your personal perspectives, if you will. And uh, we can end with that if you're good. Sure. Yeah. All, right. Yeah, let's do it. All right. So number one, what is an experience that really helped shape who you are today? Hmm. I can think of something pretty recent. I think this was about three, four years back. Uh, I think late 2015 when we had, so basically this is a professional one. And we, when we were working on the first version of TARS, so we started with a version which was very different. It was a B2C focused product. And uh, we wanted to build something else, but we had started with a B2C version of TARS. And within three months, we knew that it's not going anywhere. So I was at stage in my career. This was like three years out of college and I was back to square one. I had done one and a half years of my corporate job. And then I was doing this other startup for one and a half years or something like that. And then I was doing uh, the first version of TAS for three, four months. And it was literally going nowhere. And I had these, my peers who had completed their MBA completed, I don't know, the MS and were uh, doing good stuff. And I was like, um, have I taken the right decisions, right? <laughs> right. Because, because you, I mean, so that's a step where you can go back and be like, you know, let's go back to the job and, you know, that's good enough. Or you can still be in the game and try to still build something else, right? And I think that that was a good call I took back in the day. I could have obviously, you know, done my master's, you know, like, 
masters in business somewhere for a couple of years and then got a good job but i think that was the call that was a good call that i took which was essentially let's still be in the game let's still fight and struggle <laughs> and let's try to build something and i think you know i i i really think that was the moment when i decided to still keep working on what we were working actually we, we weren't really working on anything there was there was a this stretch of two months where we were essentially going to office and doing nothing and coming back because we literally knew, didn't know what to work on but i think yeah i mean that that was the time we actually figured it out and i think we're in a good good place right now just because of that particular call otherwise i would be in a very different stage in my career personally yeah, yeah this is a personal thing yeah. yeah and we may not be talking today because you haven't built a <laughs> a fast <laughs> you know chatbot company so no i think that's true it's and two i think that the two things there one was you realized what you work were working on you know wasn't going to be the future so cut losses at that point and then turn your focus onto something else, but then realizing who you were and what was going to make you, you know, happy, right? Obviously you have to pay the bills, but going back into a corporate or into a master's probably long-term wasn't going to be the right fit. And you were able to figure that out early on where yeah. some people are, you know, still trying to figure out <laughs> what's that, what's right. that right path. So that's, that's, that's great. All right. So part number two is actually a two-part question. One, what is your favorite book? And then part two is what is one thing you would highly recommend? It could be another book. It could be professional, personal, you know, whatever, whatever you feel strongly about. Right. So I don't read a lot because it's something I want to improve upon. I haven't been reading a lot, but something I read recently, like I've been, so I don't know why, but I still go, go back to the business and startup related books so i was reading rand fishkin's lost and founder recently okay. and then the hard thing about hard things which is something everyone reads but i just wanted to because everyone was saying good things about it so i just wanted to go back and read it but i think um, i i really liked rand fishkin's lost and founder because it's a very transparent i mean he he's just shared everything that goes on right i mean they are a 45 million revenue or maybe a 70 million revenue at this point of time and i don't know how much funding they've raised but still he shares that you know he was making this much amount of money and you're like oh really and then you get to realize you know that what is the uh, real thing that happens behind the scenes which is something you don't really realize and so i mean that was the good part for me because from the outside it feels like everything is rosy uh, right. i think it's going good but like even if you listen to his podcast i i started following him quite a bit after that but i really liked this because you would read a lot of these forbes and fortune articles where it's all glamour where it's all seems good but then you would go to the other side of it where someone is actually sharing everything about their life right, right. so i i think i i could connect to him as a person as well because that kind of person I am as well who would want to share what the reality does than sort of faking around if things are not working you actually go ahead and tell that things are not working and there might be someone who would be happy to help you but if you keep saying that everything is going good no one like you're not really seeking help from anyone no that's that's so good and, and so true I and mean, just look at you know social media facebook or instagram you would think the world is a perfect place because <laughs> everybody <laughs> knows what's going well and i think too often 
you know, entrepreneurs or, or want to be entrepreneurs focus on, well, how much money did they raise? And the fact is, right, that's only one part of this story. It's uh, the underside of the journey. That's the, uh, that's the important piece of it. So now that's good. I'm not, I don't know if I, I know Rand Fishing. I don't know if I've read his book, so I'm going to have to check that one out and add that to my, uh, to my reading list. So, so transition from that is what is one thing that you do or would recommend to folks? Oh, okay. Something I'm, I'm trying to improve on personally is asking more. If you're a part of any conversation, just ask. And the other person might be just able to help because it might be affordable loss for the other person. Like we are having this conversation right now. I might just ask you for something which is just an affordable loss for you, right? So being good at asking is, I think, I think a skill. And if you can develop that skill, you'll be able to do a lot more things just by asking people for help. Uh, right? And there are a lot of people who are ready to help. Like if someone asks me for something which I can, I can afford, why not? Right. But like, I am not really particularly good at asking myself. <laughs> right. But <laughs> right. Um, this is something I, I feel I should be good at. So when I enter into any conversation, uh, like even if you're on a demo call, if you could ask the other person, if you could speak again next week, same time, it might be just okay, but I never used to do that, for instance, right? Maybe if you are if you are speaking to a customer and you might just ask them for a simple referral, right? They might be able to help you, but we generally don't end up asking. I'm giving you very simple examples, but it could be something very different as well, right? But I think asking more just, you know, the other person and not feeling ashamed about it and being shameless while you're asking is... Is something we should do more often. Yeah. Uh, agreed. I think that that's great advice. And I think too often folks think because if we're asking, that means it's a weakness versus, right. We can all learn from each other and help each other more, but if you don't ask, you know, nobody's going to know. So I think that that's, that's great advice. And last but not least, you know, if you could only have one more beverage and I said, think of a, a last meal, what would it be? Oh, okay. <laughs> That's a tough question, but I don't know if, if I tell you the the dishes or the meals you would know because they they would be Indian Indian dishes. Okay. Right? <laughs> but yeah, I mean I don't know of a beverage, but I would definitely want to have a good coffee. But one thing I you know oh, okay. One thing I developed uh, while like traveling in the US is the cold brew. I don't know why, but we don't have cold brew here. Like we don't get it too often, but I really like the cold brew there. I don't know why, <laughs> but and the nitro boost cold brew, which is something I really enjoy. I don't know if, if people in the US particularly enjoy that, but I don't know why, but I enjoy that. But our food is really spicy. It's uh, greasy as well. And I mean, I don't know, but there, there are things like chole bhature and all, which, which is particularly the Indian dishes, which I would definitely want to have any day there you go (laughs) well and i think (laughs) i think the nitro boost and the cold brew is one of the faster i don't have the statistics behind me one of the faster growing beverages here and i I agree with you i like a a one i one i think we agree on i love a good cup of coffee and i've had a couple already this morning but a good cold brew late morning early afternoon if you'll need that little caffeine boost it's you know it's hard to beat i still like a good iced tea but uh 
cold brew is, is rapidly moving up the, uh, the preferred list. That's for sure. <laughs> if you had to answer that question, what would it be like the same, the beverage one? Oh boy, it would be, you know, there's all sorts of things like a good IPA would be good, but if it's just something, a really good cup of fresh roasted coffee would be hard to beat. I'm, I'm kind of with you on that one. (laughs) Um, Right, right, right. So excellent. Well, is there anything else uh, you'd want to discuss before we wrap this up? I know you've been really generous with your time and I got a lot of value and I'm sure our audience is going to get a lot of value out of this as well. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, I hope uh, people get some value from my learnings over the last few years. And yeah, I mean, this was, I think this was a great discussion, great questions. And I mean, yeah, I mean, if, if uh, the audience wants to connect with me, I'm on, I'm on Twitter, uh, Jindal Ish. That's my handle. Otherwise, you know, it's Ish at hellotas.com. com is the uh, domain. ISH is my name, Ish. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think this was helpful for the audience. And yeah, I would love to hear any feedback post the call as well. Yeah, no. And you, again, you're really good because you lead me right into my next question, which was, <laughs> and, and I'll add all this to the show notes to where people connect you. Was anybody list, interested in learning more, which I'm sure there will be some folks, is, is where they can find you. And like I said, I'll add all of the uh, connections, both social for you personally and to the company, you know, in the in the show notes. and. Again, really appreciate your time and taking some time this evening to chat with us. I, I like that I learned a lot and it's fascinating and, uh, you know, have a, have a great rest of your evening. Thank you so much. Yeah. You have a great day too. All right. Take care. You've been listening to Hardwired for Growth. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player or visit brettrainer.com. That's B-R-E-T-T followed by his last name, T-R-A-I-N-O-R dot com. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.